0: Sometimes, oftentimes, we find ourselves in a situation that we just can't figure out. And a very, very well-meaning friend will come up to you, and this is what they might say. Well, you just need to pray about it. Now, there's some interesting things about that. If you think like I do, I think of all the different possibilities of what they might mean by that. For some, it implies you haven't prayed. For others, it means, well, if you pray, even though you might be a little bit uneasy right now, God will give you a peace. Still, there's others that think if you pray and you really, really, really mean it, or others think if you just pray, all you need to do is ask, God will give you what you want. And they'll quote Psalm 37 to you, the second part of it, that God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, the prophet... Uh, Habakkuk was, as we say in baseball, he was 0 for 3. He did pray, he received no peace, and he didn't get what he wanted. Last week we saw in verse 1 of his book here that it was not really notated as a prophecy or a book. It was called Habakkuk's Burden. And the burden is going to get much, much heavier than it already was in verses 1 through 4. So heavy, he might actually be wondering, why did I even bother to ask God? I mean, I asked him what was going on, and his answer, oh my goodness. Today we come to a tough passage. In fact, many, if not most, pastors gloss over it or skip it in its entirety and it raises a complex question, but it also has, uh, helps us to get into Habakkuk's head a little bit more. If you didn't hear last week's message, I would invite you later on today to go back and listen to it. Because Habakkuk had some important questions for God. And we talked a lot about the history, and the history is really important and the timing of everything is really important. He lived in uh, Judea, southern Israel, around Jerusalem, around 600, a little bit before 600 B.C., excuse me. And there had been a time of revival under Josiah, but Josiah got killed in war. And so the nation had fallen back into its bad practices that it had before Josiah was the king. And sadly, the wickedness, the violence... The idolatry of the so-called people of God absolutely was breaking Habakkuk's heart. And we often say when the prophets speak, God speaks. And so I guess we could assume that it's breaking God's heart as well. So he cried out to the Lord. Verse 2, last week he said, how long will this continue? Verse 3, he said, why God? And We said that how long and why are are two very, very tough questions. And as we come to today's section, we see that God listened and God answers. Now, right away, people would say, praise the Lord, man, I knew it. Prayer changes everything. Eh, Maybe not. (laughs) Or maybe not the way we want it to be changed. It seems that as we go along that God agrees with uh, Habakkuk's assessment of the nation. But the Lord also explains to him his apparent, but not really, his apparent inactivity. But God's answer is not at all what the prophet expected. It was not at all what he wanted to hear. And so the title of our message today is, When God's plans are very different than ours. When God's plans are very different than ours. Habakkuk's basic question, his basic problem with God, boils down to this What are you going to do about the wickedness of your people? They're his people too, but he's saying, God, they're your people. What are you going to do about their wickedness? Now, the question implies that God's doing nothing. The question implies that God is not at work, and God's going to answer him that he has been at work, and the answer is very, very difficult. And my dear friends, that's probably something we need to remind ourselves of In these days, God is always at work. It's not like he just sort of, you know, like like the alien theory. Some people say aliens came and dropped us off on this planet and just left us, and then they're going to come back for us. That's not how God is. I read recently, I don't know if it's true or not, that, that actually more people believe in UFOs than are atheists in this country. I, I have no idea. If you could do some research on that, I would be most grateful. <laughs> but, but, but God is always at work. In fact, you, if somebody next to you is sleeping on the couch, you might want to elbow them and remind them that God is always at work. Now, we often say this. You've probably heard somebody say this, so you've probably said it yourself. God is in control. Now, if that's true, then evil and disaster are somehow under his sovereign and redemptive plan. Sovereign and redemptive plan, what does that mean? God's sovereignty means that he is in control, and his redemptive plan would be his saving plan for people on this planet. Yet God's sovereignty, God's being in control, does not eliminate... Human accountability or responsibility. We need to hold those two things in tension. God's control, God's in charge of everything in this planet. Actually, his plan will come to fruition, will come to pass, in spite of the fact that humanity often seems to be doing whatever it can do to ruin his plan. So let's just stop for a second. Let's put ourselves in Habakkuk sandals and think If you are a follower of Jesus, you say, no, you just said he lived in 600 B.C. Jesus hadn't been born yet. He was waiting for Jesus. So if you are him or you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you so much. Really glad that you're here. I hope that I speak in a simple way that you can really understand everything I say. I'm not asking you to agree with everything I say. I just want you to understand what I'm saying. So if you were... Habakkuk, living back at this time, you wanted God to do something with the evilness that's going on with his people. What would you want him to do? That's not as easy a question as you might think because if he does something drastic, it's going to have ramifications on you, like we're experiencing now. There's a a sickness, but it's going to have other ramifications. And so you might want evil punished. You might be like, that's it, God, I've had it. You need to punish all these people. Or, I think for a lot of people who would say that they're followers of Jesus, especially those of us who are later life converts like me, more than likely you would want, just want revival. You would want tons of people to turn to God, put their trust in Jesus Christ, so the whole society would begin to change because people would be different. What would you not want God to do? I think what you would not want him to do is to judge the whole nation so the true people of God would not get dragged into it. So the true people of God would come out unscathed, and the evil people, the wicked people, who are the wicked people? Well, the people who are just a little worse than us. So they would be the one who would be punished. But if God decided that punishing the nation was the only way, how would you want him to do it? Well, certainly you might say, Lord, I don't want any violence and I don't want any injustice, which is exactly what Habakkuk was complaining about in verses one through four, really, two through four that his nation was full of violence and injustice but would you want god to give his people a dose of their own medicine would you want god to give the world the united states a dose of our own medicine in terms of how we've treated him but this is what's something that's very important that this is something very important that we have to realize as we approach today's text and i admit it's a very difficult one we must realize that the sovereignty of God, God's being in control of everything, and human arrogance are often at odds. Some people might say they're always at odds. And there's another very important point that we have to remember. And this is specifically for God's people. God loves his people too much you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God loves his people too much to put up with or reward their rebellion and their waywardness. He's not going to do that. Not going to do that. I remember when my kids were little, they could get away with murder. They really could. Until they looked at me and they said, I will not. That was not good. That, was, that Between that and asking their mother something and she said no and then coming to me and pretending like they never had a discussion with her and saw, see what I thought about it, those are like the two unpardonable sins in our household. And so God loves us too much to put up with or reward our rebellion and waywardness. So as we come to verse 5, Habakkuk is done speaking now. And remember, he didn't waste any time. He got, he got right into it. And he jumped right into what he had to say, and so does God. But before we read verse 5, I just wonder if God said to Habakkuk, you know, you might want to take a seat. (laughs) In fact, uh, sometimes I tell the congregation here, you might want to reach on the side of your seat for your seat belt, because the the ride might get a little rough. And so he says, verse 5, this is God speaking, and, and he answers... What he's going to do about the wickedness in the land. He says, look, God speaking, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. Some versions say amazed. For, that often means because in the Bible. For I will work a work. Some versions say I am doing a work. The idea is I'm working a work already. I'm doing a work already. In your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. Now, I want you to remember that about 650 years later, the Apostle Paul is going to quote this verse in Acts 13, 41. Just bank that in the back of your mind. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So here we go. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. Now this verse has been used as a super positive verse in a lot of different contexts that we will be so amazed at what God is going to do. And you could take verse five, you could put it on your refrigerator, if If you happen to be writing one of those happy calendars, I always make fun of the happy calendars and someone inevitably buys me one. I've got so many of those calendars. You could put that verse on your happy calendar or you could even put it on a coffee mug. Just don't read the next few verses. Because while it might sound good, it doesn't go at all with verses 6 through 11, which are very, very dark. Now what's interesting about this verse is God is answering in the plural. So he's not just talking to Habakkuk, he's actually talking uh, to his people. And next week, Habakkuk's going to argue with God that his response to his questions are absolutely not fair. And his response to what he's going to say in verses 6 to 11 is not fair. Why? Because they will not be amazed in a good way. They are going to be amazed in a way like you would want to say to God, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Now, do you ever feel that way? I, I know, I know, you're spiritual people. You watch online sermons, so, so maybe you're different than me. I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I just want to say to God, listen, seriously, I, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. But is this the best plan you could have come up with? I mean, all all the brain power you have? Come on. So here's God's plan, which we're going to read about in a little bit. In a few years, the Babylonians are going to come to Jerusalem. They're going to destroy the city and the temple. And God won't stop the enemy like he has done Forgot his people many times in the past. In fact, on Easter Sunday morning, we jumped ahead in time to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel told us that God himself left the temple, symbolic of his presence with his people, and left town. And then the Babylonians came in because they were so unprotected. Now, this is quite a lesson for all of us if we think or we assume without the Word of God, that we know how God is going to deal with the events of the world, and even with the Word of God, it can be very, very challenging and confusing. See, sometimes we hear stuff, and we, we think about it, and we go, things will get better. But the truth of the matter is this, and we all know this, that sometimes Things need to get worse before they're going to get better. It seems to me from last week that Habakkuk is looking at his country and his life. And he's so absorbed in his own world and what's going on around him. That that is leading him to doubt and despair as he forgets that God is always at work. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure his prayers are kind of like ours. Do your prayers go like this? Mine often go like this. Excuse me, God, God, there's a problem. I know you know everything, and there's a problem, and here it is. And by the way, I know you're busy, God, so um, I know how you can fix it. You don't, have to, you don't have to stress about it. You don't have to worry about it. I, I got the solution. I just wanted to let you know what was going on. You ever talk like that to God? Some of you are laughing right now. I know the guys in the sound booth are. You're like, hey, Pastor Jim, I talk to God like that all the time. God, here's the problem and here's how I want you to fix it. But God is compassionate to the prophet And says to him, listen, man, you're you're missing the big picture. If you look at the world, you'll actually see what's going on. Sadly, the people of Judea, God's people, because of what we call syncretism, mixing pagan religions with Judaism, had come to the point in time where they really didn't care about God anymore. And they thought that they were insulated... From the rest of the world because they were the people of God. Now, excuse me, now remember, I told you that this very verse was cited by the Apostle Paul 650 years later after Jesus ascended to heaven in the book of Acts. Why would he cite this verse? Well, he was talking to religious people, Jewish people, who knew. This prophecy of Habakkuk, and he was warning them about something. He he was telling them, listen, don't presume that God won't judge you. Don't think that because you are the people of God, don't think because you say that you are a, for them a Jew, for us a Christian. Don't think because they had the new temple. Don't think because you go to church. Don't think because you're religious. Don't think that you're you're a good person. Don't think any of that's going to make you good with God. Don't presume upon that. Be very, very careful. This is what he's telling these guys. Be very, very careful. So how does it apply to Habakkuk? Because what he's saying is if you refuse to believe God's plan... In this case, the Babylonians, in the audience that the Apostle Paul's talking to, about the cross of Christ, that trusting in Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, judgment will come to you as judgment came to Jerusalem. So this is a very, he came very serious with these people. Jeremiah was around at the same time as Hab- Habakkuk. And he says this, we can go to numerous places, but he says this, Jeremiah 5, 11 through 13. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. Another version says that God said they've been utterly unfaithful to me. They have lied about the Lord and said he is not he. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall We see sword or famine. What are they saying? God's going to do nothing. We're good. We're fine. We're church people. We're religious people. We're good people. God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. So he's been utterly unfaithful. God says, They've been utterly unfaithful to me. They have lied about the Lord. And they've said he's not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword or famine. Again, he will do nothing. And the prophets become wind, for the word, the Lord's word, is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. No evil is going to come upon us. It's going to come upon all the fanatics, all the crazy prophets that are going on and on and on, telling us the stuff we don't want to hear. We love the prophets who tell us what we want to hear. I got my Bible. You know, those guys, right? All the people, a breath of fresh air, we call them. Because they don't talk about sin. No, 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 no. we love those guys. The guys who tell us the truth from the word of God, we don't want nothing to do with those guys. It's all going to happen to them. We don't care about them. So let's go back to Habakkuk. What's God's plan? Verse 6. For or because, for, I, for indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Some of your versions say Babylonians. So what are they like? A bitter, some versions say ruthless and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Another version says, to seize territories, not its own. Implication, including your territory, Judea, Jerusalem. Chaldeans. Chaldo. Chaldo was a country of tribal groups at the southernmost part of Babylon, and the people were called the Chaldeans. About 100 years later, Assyria had captured Babylon... And around 700 B.C., the Chaldeans took it from them twice and lost it back to them, uh, back to Assyria both times. About 75 years later, these hardened, hardened warriors from Caldo, the Chaldeans, when the world superpower Assyrians were having a lot of trouble They took Babylon back, and they took it back for good. So the merger of the Chaldeans and Babylon, which Babylon was a bigger place, they became known as the Babylonians. And then the Chaldeans, from an unknown backwoods tribal people, became the most powerful nation in the world... In only 20 years. That's why God says, I'm raising them up, man. 20 years. They rolled over everybody in their path, including the world superpower Assyria in 612 B.C. and the world superpower Egypt only seven years later in 605 B.C. All of this is happening in Habakkuk's day. Now, you sure they heard the stories, man. They heard the stories. So while the people of God were busy undoing all the reforms of King Josiah, which we talked about last week, Babylon is fast becoming the world's superpower. And they were absolutely ruthless. And they conquered most of Western Asia with cruelty, greed, and incredible speed. And perhaps the Jews thought, well, maybe we're so small, maybe we're off the radar. But here in verse 6, Habakkuk learns not only are they not off the radar, but they are directly in the path of the hurricane. They are directly in the path of the tornado of the Babylonian Empire. And as we're going to see next week, I sure hope you'll join us next week, when, when uh, Habakkuk talks back to God to answer what, what he tells him, he, he can't believe what he's hearing. I mean, his argument is going to be like this, hey God, listen, man, I know we're bad. We're bad, but we're not these savages. We are are not these people. But there is a huge lesson here for all of us to learn. That some people, I'm one of them, many of you are one of them. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. Some people... Some nations have to have their pride completely crushed before they will come to God. Or they'll have to have their pride completely crushed before they will come back to God. That's the only way. Maybe that's you today. You know it. I mean, I don't have to tell you. You know it. You haven't even told anybody. Deep down, you know That God is working in you and you're fighting him and fighting him and he is crushing your pride because he wants you to come to him. Now, please don't think God was having a bad day. He had been warning them for a long time. Uh, Let's just take one for instance. Here are the words of the prophet Isaiah, actually quoted by Jesus. And it was 100 years earlier than Habakkuk. So it's over 700 years before Jesus. And this sentiment was echoed by many other prophets. Isaiah 29, 13, and 14. Therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. See, (laughs) their hearts are far from me. You know, it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing to think that we could come to church, that we could come to church, and, and we could sing the songs, we could say the prayers, and just be going through the motions, and God would say, your heart is far from me. Like, what are you doing? Are you taking notes? Or are you writing your to-do list for the week? You see some people now in the age of online Bibles, you, you hear that you know people are looking at their Bibles on their device. Praise the Lord, it's great. Other people are checking Facebook. You say, how do you know? I have informants. <laughs> and, and God says, you're here, but your heart's far from me. You've removed your hearts from me. Another version says, their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. Their worship consists of man-made rules by rote. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and wonder. What would the result be? For the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and their understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Isn't it amazing? God says, you've removed your hearts from me. Your hearts are far from me. Your fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. he goes, it's a bunch of man-made stuff you're listening to. So I'm going to take all of that wisdom. I'm going to take all of that understanding. And I'm going to crush it. You say, wow, 100 years. Even longer than that. Let's go back about maybe 800 years or so. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses' famous blessing and cursing chapter. So Moses lays out, hey, you want God's blessing? This is what you got to do. And he lays out the curses. He says, if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Let's pick it up at verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and statutes, which He commanded you. Let's stop right there. God says, hey, "Is that simple?" I, I'm, He's telling us, "I'm going to tell you what to do, and I will bless you. I'm going to tell you if you don't do it, what's going to happen to you. I mean, it, it's that simple." Verse forty-six. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. What is he saying? You were ungrateful. Verse 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies with whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Verse 49, remember verse 49. You're going to need it in a few minutes. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as eagle as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. Now let's go back to Habakkuk. In verses 7 to 11, we're going to hear how Babylon conquers countries. Verse 7, they are terrible and dreadful. This is what God is telling them. These are the people that are coming. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Another version says they are a law unto themselves. But that's what Judah had become. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says they are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. So the people of God don't want God, so God leaves. Actually, common churches, I'll hear people that say, I went to this church, it was dead. God wasn't there because if the people didn't want him, he left. But it's also like God saying to his people, listen, if you won't fear me, you will fear If you won't fear me, when I withdraw my protection, you'll fear the Babylonians. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. The idea when wolves come out at night, they're super hungry. Their chargers, that means their horsemen, charge ahead. Their cavalry, we might say their special forces, comes from afar Another version says they come from distant lands. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. Another version says they fly like a vulture swooping to devour. Verse 9, they all come for violence. They do violence. That wasn't, wasn't that Habakkuk's complaint last week about his people? Their faces are set like the east wind. What is the east wind? Well, it just is this wind that comes to destroy. So they are destructive and they are determined. You can't stop the east wind. You can't stop them. They deride or they laugh at every stronghold. Whatever fortress somebody builds up, they laugh at. <laughs> A lot of us right now, we got Lord of the Rings right in our head again. For they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. What, like, what is that? Another version says they build siege ramps to capture it. So what was that? That was an ancient way of warfare before there was the weapon we have today where they would dig trenches And they would build ramps, and they would move closer and closer and closer to the city. They would take this tremendous amount of land that they would build, but they couldn't be hit because they were in the trenches. They were hiding behind the ramp, and eventually the ramp would be so high they could walk over the wall right into the city. Verse 11, then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense ascribing this power to his God. The English Standard Version says, Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So, the Babylonians worshipped their strength and their power. Not the living God. And they also lived without accountability. Just a historical footnote. History has shown us that these type of empires come and they go. That's because evil destroys and eventually evil destroys itself. And if evil doesn't destroy itself, God will send someone to destroy it. And that's all because man's power is limited while God's power is unlimited. Man's power is temporary, God's power is eternal. And the conclusion of verse 11 lets us see that the discussion can't be over. And again, I hope you'll be with us next week as Habakkuk comes back at God. So how does that situation look to you? How does that sound to you? Pretty grim, huh? Really grim. Scary. Scary. But what about us? What, what do we do with Habakkuk? Well, first we have to acknowledge that God's plan is very different than Habakkuk's plan. And he's going to let God know that next week. And we all know what that's like when God's plan is very different than our plan. But I think it's important as we put ourselves again in the prophet's shoes or the sandals or the prophet's heart, how demoralized he must be. And in talking to people and seeing what goes on around us, I I know we're looking for the silver lining and there is a lot of good that goes on right now in our world and in our country. But a lot of people are demoralized. To me, that's sort of the expression that encapsulates it all. They're just, they're just demoralized. They're hopeless. Very, very disheartened. And I'm sure in many ways that's the way Habakkuk felt. I mean, he prayed, he talked to God, and he's, after he hears this, he's like, is this supposed to make me feel better? It's certainly easy for us to feel that these days. I know a lot of us have a real sense of futility, a real sense of a lack of purpose. Many of you are stretched to the limit, and you're getting close to, or you're already at that point, or you're like, what's the point of even trying? There's nothing that I can do. This situation is so far beyond me. I pray and it gets worse. So I don't know what to do. How about low morale? How about watching and hearing about so many people who suffer? It's easy to be afraid, it's easy to be lonely. Once again, it's easy to be hopeless. Now, I'm hearing from a lot of you how much you love having online church. And, and that's, that's great. That, that, that's great. You know, I'm happy that we can do this. But, but to be honest... And you have to be here to experience it. When service is over, it is really depressing in this building. I mean, perfectly. Honest. The sound guys are like, amen. It is really depressing. You know, before the service, we're busy like we always got to do. We're, you know, Pastor Neil's getting the music ready. The sound guys are getting the lyrics and the verses ready. And I'm putting the finishing touches on the message. God, help me, help me, help me. It's, like, it's sort of business as usual in a lot of different ways. You walk in the room and nobody's here, and that's sad. But you still got your stuff you got to do. But when the service is over, it is really sad. I mean, we try to yuck it up. We're like, "Man, nobody showed today," <laughs> or we're like, "Man, nobody sang," or I'll say, "Nobody laughed at my corny jokes." But but it's really sad. And I know some of you are getting used to this. But but this isn't church. That's why I call it Calvary Online. I don't say welcome to church. This isn't church. This isn't the gathered people of God singing the praises of God together. Feasting upon his word. This isn't where... I can look around and go, wow, Jesus is walking among the people, man. This is way cool. And the truth of the matter is, we miss you. And i got to tell you something for me and those of you who know me really well. I really miss the kids. I really miss them. A lot of you know I always say I'm a children's pastor at heart. I really miss the kids. You see, it's odd about God. He often does or allows the opposite of what we think he should do to accomplish his purposes. That's why I love the honesty, the raw honesty of a guy like Habakkuk. He's like, you're kidding me. Next week, he's going to be like, you're kidding me. But God's going to bring him around. But you got to go through the process. You see, God's delays, and this is very important to remember, are always purposeful. They're always purposeful. Even when his plans are a heavy burden. And this is a heavy burden we're all sharing. We're all in this together. That's true. It is a burden we are sharing. And somehow, God uses these seemingly horrible things to bring his people, those who've put their trust in Jesus, to a place of eternal, holy perfection, to a place of eternal worship. And I'm just being honest with you. I know the pastor's supposed to act like he's got it all together. But I'm being honest with you. Quite often, I am baffled by God. And yet, the more I walk with him, or he carries me, the more I trust him when I'm baffled. See, I'm learning... I've learned and I'm learning that rather than try and overthink everything, you know all the conspiracy theory people that are out there right now. It's like this whole cottage industry. You know, it's the end of the world. This is going on or that's going on, whatever. For me, rather than try to overthink things, when I can't figure God out or what he's doing, I simply ask him this. Would you please sustain me? Would you please keep me faithful? And would you please guide me in such a way, because God, you know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Would you please guide me in such a way that I know you're guiding me? You say, how does that work? Jude 121 says this, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So to keep yourselves, to look for the mercy, that's a spiritual discipline. That is going to require, loved ones, an open Bible, a constant reflection upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Honestly, A box of tissues (laughs) and a grateful heart. You see, loved ones, I, I know people have all kinds of theories. I don't really know the answer to them, to be honest with you. I do know this, though. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes they just happen. You see, the Babylonians are coming. Every person in the land is going to be affected. Every person. We we talked about how the people are following wickedness, but not all of them. Certainly the prophets are not. But this thing is going to hit them too. But God still uses it somehow when it seems impossible that he could. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, like, whose fault is this? Who can we blame for this? Who sinned? Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So God takes this not great thing and is going to turn it into something beautiful. <laughs> to me, it's one of the funniest chapters in the Bible. When you read the, you listen to the back and forth between him and the religious leaders. We have no time to go there. But maybe that's the case for you today. Maybe God has been at work already and you don't know it and this situation you find yourself in today is God's continuous work. And let me tell you something I had firsthand experience of this week. Firsthand. God is at work all the way until the end. If you're part of this church, you you probably know that uh, one of our dear saints here at the church here Mary McCabe went home to be with the Lord Friday morning. Funny thing about Mary is she claimed to be 96 and a half. Her son claims she was 95. Somebody else said she was 94. Very odd. Women usually don't make themselves older, but who knows, right? So Mary was a gospel woman, gospel woman. She used to sit in about the third or fourth row of the church here right on the end, She was hard of hearing, and she didn't know, but she was a big cheerleader for me. Because she was hard of hearing, she would say something to the person next to her, not realizing that four rows heard what she said, and I could hear her up in the pulpit. She'd go, here he goes, here he goes, here comes the cross, here comes the cross, here he goes. Every week. So the other night, I called... Hospice had been called in, and she was on pain medication, and I was told she really wasn't with it. And she gets on the phone, and she was more with it than most people I know without pain medication. And you know what's interesting? She wanted to talk about my health, not hers. And, and she said, you know, it's hard being sick. And I said, well, Mary, one thing that I find the Lord is teaching me, if you don't know, I have neurological disorders, so I'm always holding on to the pulpit. I said, one thing the Lord is teaching me is it's better to be sick and to be going to heaven than to be completely healthy and going to hell. And there she is, in bed, hospice there, on pain meds, so she can barely talk, and what do you think she says? Amen, Pastor Jim. You got that right. And soon after that, she's in the hands of her Savior. God is always at work, even to the very end. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, tells us this. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That's wickedness. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I think Jesus is saying, What? Things happen. Things happen. Verse 3 Jesus talking, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You won't make heaven if you don't turn to him. Verse 4, or those 18, there's 18 people on whom the tower of Siloam fell, and, and he killed them, and it killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Now, hopefully, he paused and everybody went, no, it just happened. Jesus says, verse 5, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is he saying? You, You won't make heaven. Now, you may think this is totally crazy, but God will even use something evil or very sad to get people to take notice. He will use those things to purify his church, to sanctify his people, to make them more like Jesus if that's what it takes. And if God needed to do that in Habakkuk's day, what makes us think he wouldn't do it now? Because we're Americans? Like, no, 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 that doesn't happen to us. We watch that stuff on TV. That happens in other countries. Habakkuk is in the process of teaching us and God is teaching him that God's priority is to have us live in a right relationship with him and sometimes, not always, but sometimes he's going to use a Babylon to do it. Sometimes God is going to use very, very difficult times to get us to look to him. But God's ultimate appeal to you and to me, to the United States and to the world, is seen in Jesus' suffering on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in heaven with God. In Habakkuk's day, Babylon was the instrument of God's judgment on sin. But 600 years later, the cross of Christ was God's instrument of judgment on sin. See, when it came time for Habakkuk's day, it was God said, I'm going to send my enemy, to deal with my people's sin. But in Jesus' day, God said, I'm going to send my enemies to kill my son to deal with my people's sin. The cross of Christ is proof to us that God will stop at nothing, nothing to draw us to him. God will stop at nothing to draw you close to him. So the simple question is, will you come? Will you turn to God and put your trust in Jesus today? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've heard from a lot of people that they've never spent more time in bed than they have in the last month. And they've never felt like less. they've gotten less rest. He goes on, Jesus says, take my yoke. That's what you you put on top of an animal to pull the plow. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will, not you might, but you gotta take that yoke you will find rest for your souls for or because my yoke is easy and my burden is light you say okay but but what do we do when god's plans are very different than ours 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, may, that he may exalt you in due time. And that famous verse, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you don't believe it, get your eyes on the cross, see Jesus' love for you, let Jesus love you, let Jesus care for you, let Jesus protect you, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, let Jesus save your soul. Well, let's pray.